All right, I'm going to read for you guys from Luke 14, verse 15 to 24. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who have been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, it's so good to be with you. I'm so glad you're here. We got a full house this morning, and uh, we're thankful for those that are attending online. Um, if we've not met yet, uh, my name is Ken, and um, I am the guy around here uh, that gets to hear all the excuses. That, that's my job. I, that I, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you need to become good at hearing excuses and still loving people. You, you need to be good at it. And, uh, and if you're not hearing excuses, you're probably not making disciples, and you're making excuses for not doing your job. I was thinking this week, some of the loudest excuses that I hear are from me. God has called me to something great, because, but because of my, my fears and, and my doubts and my own sin, I'm often tempted to excuse myself from the greatness he has called me to. And see, God has called each of you to something great as well. And sometimes my excuse is letting the excuses of others wear me down, so I start making excuses. I was at a pastor's conference recently and it was really good for me because the other pastors were shepherding my heart and they called me out on my excuses. And that really helped me refocus on the great calling God has for my life and, and for this church. Friends, it's my own excuses that wear me down the most. It's my own excuses that steal my joy and, and limit me. And I believe Jesus' words in the parable that Annika just read, are, are starting to help me honestly confront my excuses. You know, the message today is, there is room. God has called us all to great things, and there is room in his grace for us all to experience them. The enemy of that grace, friends, is our excuses. And the truth is, we all make excuses. And the key is to recognize when we are doing it and, and stop doing it. Uh, as a people, we tend to spend a lot of time complaining about a lot of things in our lives, don't we? We, we, we can find, it's really easy to find, get people to start complaining about a lot of things. But if we spent, uh, and, and when we complain, it, it, it's, 
uh, that complaint is a, an excuse. It's a, it, it's a complaint against God. And it's a, it's a rejection of the great things that he has invited us into. And if we spend more time entertaining those complaints than we do pursuing his presence, that complaint becomes a great excuse. We all do this. We find reasons for why things cannot be done instead of doing them. And our excuses can be our sin. Our excuses can be the sins of others. The excuse can be the cards that we felt we were dealt in life. The excuse can be how busy we think we are. The excuse can be what others might think of what we are. The excuse can be we are unworthy of great things to happen to us. As a people, we find many excuses to limit ourselves and not live the, the great life that God has for each of us. We can also give those excuses to other people about themselves and limit them. And sometimes we do that because it makes us feel more justified in our own excuses for ourselves. We often find our excuses more comfortable than actually doing something. Our fears can be a comfortable excuse for us not moving forward in life. The excuse of fear actually becomes a trap that leaves us in mediocrity instead of living the, the life that God has designed for us. Now, I don't always make excuses, and neither do you. But we all need to recognize when we are making excuses and who we ultimately are making excuses to. Because our excuse shows what we really value in life. My, my excuse is not the real danger. The danger is when I believe my own excuses. That's when I'm in danger. When I put more faith in them than God. And, and so, friends, discipleship is helping people put more faith in God than their excuses. And Jesus, the master, is doing that for all of us today in his parable. So, friends, open your Bible. Let's not make any excuses. Open your Bible or your Bible app to Luke chapter 14. And let's, let's read from the master in Luke's 15 through 24, and learn first from somebody who's truly great, somebody who truly does not make excuses. And he shows us, he's willing to show us love by pointing out our excuses that limit us. So in verse 15 it says, When one of those reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, the problem with excuses is they always sound pretty good. What this guy said sounds really good. It sounds legitimate, doesn't it? You know why? Because sinners are expert at making excuses. This man in our text just heard Jesus is teaching about how we are to be merciful and invite others into a, a relationship with God, that we are to learn not transactionally like the world does, but selflessly without condition like God does. And his teaching has been completely ignored by the Pharisees at the table with them. And this Pharisee guy at his table gives a spiritually sounding excuse. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread at the kingdom of God. The dude is actually trying to break the tension in the room because Jesus had just challenged the Pharisees. He had called out a problem of their conditional love to others. The excuse is, hey, we're just all fine. God loves us. We're the chosen people. 
We'll all be happy. At least all of us Jews like us will be happy. All us Pharisees, we will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But that's not what Jesus was just talking about. That's not what the author of life was just talking about. He said, you will be blessed or happy when you learn to love others unconditionally, even when they can't repay you. That's what Jesus had just said. This man's excuse is kind of like, it's okay, God loves us, we're fine, we don't have to change anything, us Hebrew boys are just fine, we got the invite to the kingdom. When the Messiah comes, we'll be fine. Although he's right there. We don't need to do anything different right now, I'm saved. Here's the, the truth for all of us. Is spiritual, we are on a continuum. It's like there's a line here, and you're either moving towards God or you're stuck, or you're moving away from God. You're actually falling back. And, and see, if you're stagnated, really, you're, you're falling back. You're, <laughs> that, that's the real truth of it. So you're either moving for God, and you're, you're coming to him, or you're falling back. And what makes us fall back is our excuses. See, making disciples is leading people and helping them begin and maintain their journey towards God to guide them, to help them through the natural excuses that leave us all stuck in life and instead lead them to the great things that God has for them. Jesus is not falling for this man's spiritual language that we're fine in our comfort zone making excuses. So he tells them a parable to help them all see that the danger that they are now in. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet, and he invited many. And at that time of the banquet, he sent a servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. First, I want you to notice that the banquet is great. That word is not accidental. Jesus is telling us what God has for each of us, something great. And, and so to understand a parable, you need to understand who is who is in the parable. And so God the Father is the one throwing this great banquet. And who are the ones invited? Us. We're invited. God is not selective or stingy in who he invites. He invited many, the parable says, or all. See, the Pharisees make God's kingdom an exclusive place where only the little club or tribe of people can get in. But God invited many. He invited a multitude. He invited all to come. Now, when it says it's time for the banquet, he says he sent a servant. Who, who's, the, who's the servant in the parable? Anybody? Jesus. Easy answer. Sunday school answer, right? It's, it's Jesus. Jesus is the servant inviting, right? Jesus came with good news, inviting people into his kingdom. He stood in the street corner saying very inclusive things like, come all to me who thirst and drink. That's an invitation for everyone to come into his kingdom. There's no rope outside with a bouncer trying to keep you out. The, he, he, he's inviting everybody. But he also said, and that out of your hearts will flow rivers of living water. In other words, the invitation to the kingdom will flow through you to others. You are like a conduit of grace when you're not constipated in your excuses like a Pharisee. Grace is supposed to flow through you. But before you'll be effective in, effective in inviting, you first must accept your own invitation 
or God's invitation. Ministry, friends, all of ministry is about inviting. And, and, and today you were all invited to come and sing and worship him. We were invited you to come and, and learn more about him in a small group. We, we invite you into his fellowship, joining others at the party in the fellowship. You are invited to the privilege of participating in his ministry by giving to his work to help others. That's what, what happened when Mike gave an offering. He gave an offering invitation. You were invited to participate in the work of this church by serving others and helping to invite others to his banquet, to grow and grow closer to him. Did you notice when I started, I said I'm the guy who gets to hear all the excuses? I get to. It's my privilege to hear your excuses. That God, it's my privilege that God has chosen me to be his partner and hear them with him. It's a privilege that he lets me help him overcome excuses so that others can know something great. That his grace is ready for them right now. And at this time, it's hot and fresh, so it's, it's, it's time to come. You know, people think that evangelism is convincing people. Evangelism isn't convincing people. Evangelism is inviting people. It's helping invite them to God's great love and grace for them. God's not making any exclusions on his guest list. He's paying for the dinner. He's saying, you're all worthy, so come. He's saying, I want you here. You're, you're special to me. He's saying, it's going to be great for you. I've taken care of it all. You just need to come. Don't ask me what you should bring. I paid for it. Just cling to your invitation and come. Now, the servant in the parable, Jesus, is both the inviter and the invitation to the party. He's both the inviter and the invitation. He's the inviter because he's teaching us to invite. But he's also the invitation. He's paying the price for the dinner with his own life. And this parable is about a wedding feast. And Jesus is the groom going out with love, inviting a crowd uh, to, uh, that's going to be his bride. He's inviting them to come with his sacrificial love. And God's word says, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said these to me, these words are true of God. Revelations 19.9. We're, we're blessed that we've been invited. It's almost what the Pharisee said, but uh, that, what, what God is actually inviting us to is, is the marriage supper of the Lamb. But the Pharisee was using it as an excuse not to come because he assumed that he had already arrived because he had an invitation. He had an invitation. And so he assumed that he had arrived. And Jesus is saying, having the invitation is not enough if, if the reality is you're not really coming. Right? The, the, the invitation is not enough if the reality is you're not really coming. If they are rejecting the teaching of God because they had a genetic invitation, they thought, but what is good is an invitation to something if you don't receive it. 
How will it benefit you if you don't come and feast? And, and the Pharisee and his buddies are, are still rejecting Jesus. Who is be, even though he is the invitation, he's also who the party is for. And he's also the feast. Friends, we need to be careful to be just satisfied in our invitation. Our joy must be going to be in the presence of the host and feast on his love. The invitation is for great joy for all of us. But now Jesus presents the problem in the parable. The excuses of not coming that keep us from that great joy. But all alike, they began to make excuses. The first said, I have bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, therefore I cannot come. The problem here is, instead of receiving the invitation and traveling to the feast and anticipating the feast, we all make excuses. Notice the word all. All alike means all of one accord. Human beings are unified in their excuses not to come. And, and you might think, hey, I'm coming. I'm saved. I plan to be there. Great. But are you headed towards the banquet? The host says, come, it's ready now. Not when you die and go to heaven. He says, come, it's ready now. If you're not coming or advancing towards him, now aren't you making an excuse? Are, are you coming now to the feast or are you on the island of someday? You know, someday I'll, someday I'll get to church regularly and celebrate the host's goodness. Someday I'll start giving to church and doing my part, preparing uh, and bringing others. Someday I'll serve others by making sure the invitations go out. Someday I'll spend time fellowshipping at the warm-up party with the other guests. Someday I'll start making disciples so that they can get over their excuses too and come. Someday I'll feel worthy enough to go. But for many, someday I'll will never come. The father says, everything is ready now. Come, come and celebrate. Give glory to my son. You are his bride. This feast has been prepared for you. Now, the excuses that people here in the parable give sound good. Because excuses sound good. Because we're all good at them, right? But let's see if they're legit. The first guy says, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. That sounds good. It sounds, sounds legitimate, right? But to be a disciple, it's critical that we learn to pay attention closely to the excuses we hear from ourselves and others. Who buys an expensive piece of property without looking at it first? A fool. Who does that? Someone who's not thinking very well. A banquet like this, a great banquet, would usually happen at night. Would you go look out at your major investment of this property at night, especially in the first century? How well that's gonna is that going to work with a candle or a torch? Seriously. 
This excuse is ridiculous. But the excuse seems so polite, doesn't it? It, it seems so polite. Please have me excused. <laughs> Excuses always sound polite. They sound socially acceptable. My sin is that I'm often fooled by the politeness of excuses, and I don't stop to think about whether they're legitimate. Excuses are actually rational lies. We rationally lie to ourselves that we tell ourselves. And, and what we have done is rationalize that whatever we want to do is more important than what we've been asked to do by our great king. And, and instead of telling the person that, that, that they're given an excuse because we might offend them, we, uh, or we, instead of giving it, telling them that something, instead of us being honest and, and just telling the reason why we're not coming, uh, we tell them something that they think we think that they will believe is legit. Isn't that what we do? We tell them something they, we, that, that, that could be delusive. And so excuses are, are so deceptive. And, and the problem is if, if we start to believe them from others, we start to believe our own. And the more you give excuses and you receive excuses for others, the more apt you are to believe them. And, and so our, 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 our job as a disciple is to invite people to the gospel. That, that, that's what we are to do. Now, many people choose to do that by inviting people to the church. And, and friends, if that's your method, that's great. But I need you to start really listening and understanding what people are politely lying to you with. For example, when people come to you and you've asked them to come to church and they say, I will try to come. You can believe their words. You could not hear them as an excuse. So let me explain this to you because I've been working in the entertainment business and as a pastor and in business for many years and making lots of invitations to all kinds of stuff. In my 40 years of doing it, I've learned that I'll try to be their means. There's no way in hell I'm coming, but I can't think of a better excuse right now to tell you that you will accept. That's what try means. It's a polite excuse to commit to something without actually committing to it. True that. If, if you don't believe me, you're rationalizing the excuse to yourself because you've all done it, right? It, it, it feels like a way to lie without really lying. Now, let me ask you, if the president or your favorite movie star asked you over for dinner tonight, would you say, I'll try to be there? No, I'll be there. Keep my seat open. So... What Jesus is doing with the Pharisees in this parable is to test what they're saying and make a greater invitation. Jesus is not believing the socially appropriate thing that the Pharisee is saying. Blessed is everyone who eats bread at the kingdom of God. For example, I might say, if somebody said, I'll try to be there, oh, that's great. How about my wife and I pick you up on the way to church and we can have breakfast on the way, my treat. <laughs> now the try doesn't work anymore does it and so now they're trying to think of another excuse or they have to be honest and reveal that they just don't want to come don't they and i love them enough not to buy their first excuse because god has called them to something great don't you for me inviting people to church is often my last option because really, we are called to invite people to the gospel, not to church. 
And because I am the church and you are the church, I found what works best is inviting them directly with the gospel. In, in social situations, I look for an opportunity to have a gospel conversation with people. Because when you invite people to church, people can find all kinds of excuses not to receive God's invitation. They really can. Oh, the pastor preached too long. Oh, the people there were kind of weird. They're, they're really too friendly. Uh, the worship leader, he was just a little too happy. And that music was just a little too lively. And there was a glare off his head. And I, I just <laughs> couldn't concentrate. The... the <laughs> The people greeting the door, that, that Miss Kathy, she's just a little too nice. She makes me uncomfortable. See, the, the, the bright light of the church can be a little too intimidating for those who are living in darkness. And, and so they need people like you and I to take their little light and let it shine a little slower so they can see the greatness of the invitation without any excuses. And so even after I have a gospel conversation with somebody, I still, still may not invite them to church. I will invite them to have coffee with me again or to come to my house for a meal so that we can talk more. And then maybe I will share my testimony. I will share a story from the Bible that I think is relevant to our conversation. It, it, it often takes many invitations until somebody is ready to come here. And what I'm doing is inviting them into a relationship with me and Jesus first. And that's the most important thing. That's, that's what Jesus actually did. He, he invited people to follow him. He, he gave them a taste of the banquet so that they would want to come. Let me tell you something about the unchurched. Most of them are not looking for a church. They're, they're running from the church. If they wanted one, they'd have one. So you say, let's come to church. I got a better church than anybody else. They don't want it in the first place. And they're, they're trying to avoid it, especially today because of our culture and our media. They're all saying, this is a bad place. And sometimes, honestly, it is. Instead, invite them to Jesus. And, and let them know of his sweet goodness first. And then they will want to meet his bride. Three circles is an invitation we use here at Crosswinds. And, and all it is is an invitation to come further, to, to come and start following him. It's just a way to quickly give people a taste of what the gospel is, because they don't know. Let's say you owned a Chinese restaurant at the mall, and you wanted to invite more people to come eat your food. You could send a guy on the corner with flyers and handing them out, and you might get one person out of a thousand coming in your door. Most of them would not get over their excuses that the, the food cart is too far. The light's in there I don't like. But what if you stood at the door with a big hot pot of orange chicken and put them on toothpicks and just handed them to people as people walked in? It might cost you more effort. It... it, 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 it and it might cost you more money. But their hunger for more of that good chicken that they just tasted would lead them past their fears and excuses about coming over to your restaurant, wouldn't it? You know that to be true. That, that orange chicken in your mouth, if it was good, you'd be like, oh, I'd like some more of that. Friends, you're the orange chicken. 
You're the orange chicken. You just got to get on that toothpick and you're a toothpick and you're the invitation. Isn't that what Jesus come said to me, said to us all? Come to me, all who are thirsty and drink. He came to us to give us the flavor of his kingdom in him. And you and I must do the same. What would be your excuse for not giving them a taste? Because it would be much more effective than inviting them to church. Excuses are eliminated, friends, with love. Excuses are eliminated with love. Let's look at what the second excuse has in common with the first. It's pretty much the same as the other, only it's about a guy buying an ox he hasn't seen, which is still foolish. Would you buy a used truck for your business sight unseen? Would anybody do that? No. So this is just another polite, rational lie. And what both these excuses are telling us is something about what people value. They, they, they tend to value economic things more than what you're offering. And, and they think that you'll buy that excuse because they think you value economic things too and won't challenge their excuse. And I'm not saying argue with their excuse. I just want you to recognize that it's an excuse. Because an economic excuse, like that one, often sounds legitimate, doesn't it? I have to work. Sunday? Okay, some people do. Oh, we have to go shopping for furniture. Oh, oh, oh we, we have to get a resume together. I have to get up early for work in the morning. That would throw off my sleep schedule. Friends, are those legitimate? No. Something, are those legitimate things that would keep you from something that has great value? Maybe we just don't value the greatness of what we're offering. So we're all ready to buy the excuse. We all often value money or economic issues more than the host. We give our best to the job, sometimes not the host. We take care of our house more than the host's house and concerns. What, what keeps you from being in a life group? Is what, what keeps you from giving a weekly offering to the host? Uh, is it your retirement fund? Is it that you're, you're, you're buying Starbucks four days a week? Or, or is it your kid's education fund? And I'm not saying that anything's, those things are bad, but if you give an excuse when the host invites you to come, why are you lying? Why are you giving a cover-up to what you really value more? What, ke- helps, what keeps you from helping out in ministry? Is your excuse your job? Or you're worn out from your job? I'm worn up, dragging. When my amazing administrative assistant, Natasha, started working from the church, we, we started to go through and fill all the slots for volunteers at church. And I said, you know, we really have to be careful not to burn people out because we're kind of short-staffed with all the volunteers. And Natasha is very practical, and she asked me a question. She says, how does someone burn out from one or two hours a week commitment? And I realized, oh, I'm believing a polite lie, aren't I? People don't get burned out from their commitment to God. They don't. 
they're already burned out from all their other commitments. <laughs> it, 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 you know, I serve in the church with more hours than most people do. And, and it's not God's ministry that wears me out. It's my TV time. It's my social media time. It's my overeating. It's my fears and my doubts and how those occupy my mind. Those are the things that wear me out. I was just, uh, ministry actually refreshes me. You know, I was just in Kenya with Cleonia on a mission trip, and I was feeling burned out going. I was exhausted from the summer. And while I was there, I actually served harder than I do here, (laughs) making invitations to people about the gospel. And I came back refreshed. The reason is I got away from the distraction of all my excuses that wear me out. It's our excuses, friends, that wear us out. If you were serving Jesus a couple hours a week, the problem is not that Jesus is wearing you out. He invited you into abundant life. You're just not choosing to have it. It's all the other things you serve instead of him that are really wearing you out. Don't believe the lie that others tell you or you tell yourself. I'm so proud of Emil. When he responded to God's call to be our interim worship leader, it was a bad time in his life. He just got a new job with lots of responsibilities. He didn't know what the hours were going to be. And yet he received God's invitation to serve him with joy, and God is blessing him and us through that joy, isn't he? Amen. Not serving Jesus will take away more joy than serving him ever will. Not giving an offering will waste more of your economic resources than not responding to the invitation in faith to give to him. Some people are afraid to give. I'm afraid not to give. It's the best investment you can make. God promises that. Friends, you were made for greatness. Why make lousy investments? Most of what you do on the job is not going to mean a hill of beans in 10 years. Most of what you spend your money on will end up in the sewer or the city dump. But what we do in faith in response to the invitation of the kingdom is eternal. It goes on forever. Well, the first two excuses are polite lies about what we value more. The third guy isn't polite. This guy directly wants to shut down the inviter with something he can't disagree with. His excuse is direct, no polite lie. I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Is this legitimate? (laughs) I I don't think so, but I understand. (laughs) Is this really what is in the best interest of the man and his wife? And I I admit that I really have a hard time seeing past this kind of excuse. It, it, It seems so legitimate. I mean, family is important, right? But wait a minute. This man was just invited to a wedding. Don't you bring your wife to a wedding because you love her and you want to enjoy yourself and go dancing and eat all the nice food and dress up? Wouldn't you want to bring her to something great? Shouldn't you desire to do that for your children, for your mom and your dad and your grandchildren? If you really believe it's so great, 
Wouldn't you go and, and beg the host daily for a seat for them? After all, the host said there's room for many, and you know he's good, and he'd give it to them. This is just another excuse, isn't it? The invitee is not really valuing uh, the greatness of the banquet that they're invited to, and maybe not the one inviting. And if we all buy that excuse, are we really valuing what the host offered? What's going to make this man's marriage great? The host? Because he invented marriage? What's going to improve the lives of those children? The host? Because he created them? Who gave the man his wife? The host. Who gave him his children? The host. The problem is when we use our family as an excuse not to come to the feast, we are showing them that the host does not have much value, aren't we? Could this man be obeying the emotions of his wife more than God? Maybe he's obeying the fears or the excuses of his, of his wife and his children more than God. But who really has the power to make both of their lives great forever? God. If we use our family or our wives as an excuse not to come, is that really to their benefit? Friends, is that really love? The Bible says the husband and the wife are, are one flesh. So even if only part of the flesh comes to the feast, there's potentially great benefit, isn't there? There's benefit to the whole flesh by the one flesh coming, or part of the flesh coming. The excusey flesh of the spouse might not yet be ready to see the benefit, but if the one with the flesh that's willing to come does not obey and come, there's no hope for the excusey flesh, is there? Or maybe the excusey kid flesh? Are you loving your family if you use them as an excuse not to come? So the servant came, and, and he reported these things to his master, and the master of the house became angry, and he said to his servant, go quickly to the streets and the lanes and bring the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant reported. Did you catch that? Jesus is saying God knows when we are making excuses. Yikes. He knows. Our excuses don't fool him. If I can see through them, I know he sees through them. He, he, he can see through them no matter how polite they are. And we know that the host can see through our lies because of the reaction. He's angry. You know, in the case of a first century host giving a great feast, a lot would have had to be done to prepare. It would have had a lot of cost of time and money for all the food. And with no refrigeration, it would all be wasted, wouldn't it? It would all be wasted. And when we make excuses to God about the precious life of his son is wasted, isn't it? Like we make excuses to God, the, the precious life of his son is wasted. The opportunity that God has given us for forgiveness and eternal life will be wasted. The, the chance of intimacy with God is wasted. And so our host is righteously angry with us for that. 
In the first century, there was a two-part invitation. One invitation went out as a notification where guests would agree to come. And then when the meal was all ready, another invitation would come out, and, and they would say, now come and eat. But here the guests seem to have conspired against the host and, and come together and made a bunch of lame excuses to the host. Because remember the servant said, it's time now. Everything is prepared. They're, they're backing out. They're backing out at the last minute to do what they agreed to do when they got the invitation in the first place. What if you were hosting a wedding for your son or daughter and you paid for all the food, you paid for the hall, you paid for the band and the invitations? And what if all the guests that you invited did not show up or gave you some lame excuse? Would it make you angry? Would that be righteous anger? We are practicing hypocrisy or, or lying to God when we make excuses to him as believers. If we tell him he is Lord and that we are his wife and our wife, earthly wife, is really our Lord, are we lying? If we tell him he is Lord and we say our boss, act like our boss is Lord, have we lied to the Lord? If we tell him he is Lord and our, our kids' sports are really what's Lord, have we lied to the Lord? Yes, God loves us. But he's angry with our excuses when he is prepared and he has so much in store for us. You may be thinking, I don't believe God gets angry with us. I don't believe that. He just loves us just the way we are. Friends, he wants better for you than who you are. He loves you, but he wants better. He wants greatness for you. But you're settling for whatever your excuse is. Aren't you? Me too. This is a great banquet of joy in him, and you're missing it. And God, and if you say God does not get angry with this, are you even listening to what his son is saying? Jesus here is telling the Pharisee, God is angry because they have rejected him, the invitation. He is the groom who has come to tell them of the great feast of God's grace. And they made excuses to refuse the invitation. And so the master says, go quickly and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Now, the Pharisees would consider those kind of people unworthy to go. God, of course, he favors the rich, the Healthy, the unblemished, the morally upright people like me. He doesn't want the riffraff there, the unclean ones. But here's the real truth that Jesus is proclaiming this. Those so-called riffraff are available. They don't make an excuse. They are honored that the host asked them to come, and they will come. Now, I want you to think about who Jesus' audience was here. Very moral men who, who went to temple, who obeyed all the religious laws, but they did not have intimacy with God. They refused to come to him when he called. They were too busy living their best life now. They, they, they believed because they had an invitation to the kingdom that they're okay. Right now, they, they just have polite excuses because they have more important things to do in the moment than come to God. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, 
And still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house might be filled. Think about what Jesus has been doing. He'd been out going to the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the ordinary unschooled fishermen and, and women and, and inviting them into his kingdom. And the Pharisees sat around objecting, saying, that riffraff does not belong here, Jesus. They had the time to make the objections to others about the protocol of his own feast, but they didn't have the time to come. Jesus is telling him, the invitation is not about bloodline or the good you do, the good you do that you get praise for men for. The invitation is about my Father's glory. The house must be filled to magnify the host's joy. To magnify the host's joy in the people that he created and he finds joy in. And, and, and they are to have joy in the fact that they were invited. It, it is a celebration of the love of the groom who redeemed his adulterous bride by washing her with his own blood. Jesus is saying their genetic tribe and religious ceremony are meaningless if they do not love me, if they do not come when I call and share in my joy. See, love is a relationship where two people submit to one another. God submitted everything to you, including his own son, and you dare to make excuses Refusing to submit to him and come and love him. He's saying, you don't love me. You love yourself. Stop lying to yourself. Stop making excuses so you look good. Get honest. See the situation for what it really is. Because God had chosen the Hebrew people. And they had rejected the invitation of the son. Now, now God was sending that invitation to the Gentiles, the ones the Jews despised because they seemed so far from God. And Jesus says something that should have shaken their hearts, that should shake every heart in this room. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. None of those people who just trusted in my invitation but wanted nothing more to do with me and my will, and just made excuses, will enter my banquet. The banquet is his kingdom. His banquet is the kingdom of heaven. Friends, you can't live a life of excuses and not repent and do God's will and expect to go to heaven. No matter how religious you are, no matter how much you know, no matter how well put together you are, no, how many, no matter how many good things you do, the Father's will is that you would come and celebrate his son with him now. Jesus said that in Matthew um, 7, 21 through 22. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on the day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name? Didn't perform miracles in your name? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. If you have excused yourself from coming to him throughout your life, how can you expect that he would know you now or at the judgment? 
You excuse yourself with all your logical excuses. You may have done it politely, but the truth is he does not know you because you never came to know him. Instead, you rejected his invitations throughout your life and made excuses. Friends, you don't have to be an awful sinner to be full of excuses. God is willing to forgive your sin. That's why he prepared this meal. He prepared for his son to come and die for you on a Roman cross. Jesus did not make excuses. He made a a commitment to love you. Your sin is not an excuse. Your past excuses are, are not an excuse. Your worthiness was not an excuse. Jesus just committed to loving you without any excuses. Didn't he say on the cross something like this? Father, please excuse their sin. I'll pay the price for it instead. These excusey people don't know what they're doing. Jesus loved the Pharisee enough to attend the dinner where they were seeking to trap him just so that he could tell them their excuses would not fly forever and that now was the time to repent. Three days after Jesus died on the cross, he rose again. God promised his mercy to us, even though throughout generations, people had excused themselves from his presence. But God did not make excuses. He chose to love you because he loves you and not make excuses for you. He has done the hard thing for you. He has defeated your sin. He has conquered the grave. He's done all of that to repair your relationship with him. And now all he's asking for you to do is to come, to come in repentance of your excuses and be saved. But if you reject the invitation now, someday God warns he will reject you forever. And when he does, you can't blame him and make the excuse that you were not treated fairly. (laughs) He has invited you throughout history to a great feast, a kingdom of joy that will last forever. And all you must do is stop making excuses and turn from your sin and come to him. And he will freely forgive your sin and he will give you everlasting life. Just knowing about the invitation will not save you. John 3, 11 and 12 says, He came to them which was his own, but his own did not receive him. They did not accept the invitation. Yet all who did receive him to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You're a guest at the banquet, not just the crowd. You're part of the family. You must receive it and you must come. The invitation is signed in the blood of the Son of God with the words, I love you all over it. Will you receive his love? Will you come celebrate his love with him by coming and sharing in his joy? Are you going to make excuses? Today, what is God calling you to do? What are you giving him an excuse for? Today, turn from that. That's what repent is. Turn from the excuse and come to him. Come to whatever he's inviting you into. Come Maybe it's to give an offering. Maybe it's to be baptized. Maybe it's to accept him as your savior. Maybe it's to accept a call to do something in ministry. Whatever it is, today is the day to come. The feast is now. He wants greatness for you right now.
Don't give him an excuse. Come to him today. Because he wants to do great things in you. Let us pray. Father, thank you. I thank you for your word. It's always so true. It's always so relevant. Thank you for calling me out of my excuses into your marvelous light, into your ministry, and into all the wonderful things you've shown me. Father, I pray right now for this crowd, whatever they're struggling with, whatever excuses they're trying to give you, Lord, I pray that they would not let those things wear them out anymore, but they would turn to you, that they would come to you. If they're weary, you said that you will give them rest. Father, let them turn to you. If they're broke and poor, you will lift them up. If they're hurting, Father, you will care for them. Father, they're not going to find the answers in the world. All of those things are going to wear them out. Father, let them turn to you right now and come to you and say, please forgive me. I've been making excuses. Forgive me, Lord. I trust that what you have done on the cross paid my way. That I can come to the party. Thank you. Lord, I want to follow you. I want to learn to be like you, a person that is inviting, not making excuses. Help me to follow you as my Lord. Make me aware of my excuses so that I might follow you more closely. Father, if they're willing to do that today, Lord, I know that you will accept them. Jesus wasn't telling this parable to the Pharisees because it was an ending, it was a beginning. He wasn't damning them. He was trying to get them to see what they might miss. God's not, you're not condemning us. It's not why you came. You came to invite us. You came to invite us into something great. We thank you for your love for us. We praise you. And you deserve every glory and honor and praise for all time because of what you have done, that you have invited people like me into your presence, people like my friends here. Father, may we now worship you with all our hearts, without excuse. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.